it forever. Amen. So today we are, are continuing our, our way through the, the book of Luke. And if you were here last week, you know that we're in a section of Luke in chapter 11 um, that is really dealing with this subject of prayer. The disciples were with Jesus, and as they often did, they heard him praying, and they were blown away by the, the prayer life of Jesus. And so they said, Lord, teach us to, to pray. And they recognized that John the Baptist had taught their disciples, or his disciples, to pray. And so they wanted the same thing from Jesus. And, and so at first, Jesus gave them the Lord's Prayer, um, this prayer that, that shows us the, the priorities of prayer. Um, we talked last week about how each petition of the Lord's Prayer shows us a, a place where we can, can rest and pray in that, that category. It's a, it's a guide. But I think that we sometimes forget when we, when we read the Gospels that uh, the passage we're looking at today, verse 5, verse five to 13 of Luke 11, um, is, sorry, say 5 to 13, um, that it's also Jesus teaching his disciples to pray. Um, but he, he's essentially teaching us another lesson about prayer. So if you have your, your Bible, again, turn to Luke 11. Um, if you are, are using the, the Pew Bible that, that's near you, this is on page 869. So again, this is Luke chapter 11. I'll begin reading in verse 5. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, Though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for your Holy Spirit, Lord. We, we pray for him. You promise that if we pray for your spirit that you'll give him, Lord. And we need your spirit to understand this, Lord. We need your spirit to be convicted of sin through this passage. We need your spirit to be able to apply this throughout the week. Oh, Lord, we are not sufficient and ourselves, Lord, we, we desperately need you, so we pray that you would guide us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I heard this, this story about 
uh, preschool where they were having a, a big problem with the students tattling on each other. And, and you think, okay, well, that's not a very big problem. And from what I understand, it was a very good preschool. Um, but they were just spending so much time, you know, arbitrating uh, these disputes among the kids over, you know, every small little issue. And so they were trying to think of a solution. So uh, a father of one of the children at the preschool uh, created this phone where you would pick it up and it would have a message saying, you know, tell us what, what's going on. And the, the child could then leave a message explaining, you know, tattling on the other students to the phone. Um, and the, the father who created it got permission from all the other parents um, so that the, the message that would be sent, he would get each time, you know, mo notification on his phone when it, when it popped up and they can listen. And it was kind of humorous to hear the, the kids, you know, going in all this detail about what it, all the others were, were doing. And at first they, they used the phone shamelessly, uh, expectantly, thinking this is really great, we can, we can share this, uh, we can share all of our, of our problems into the, this phone. But then pretty quickly it started to kind of die down where the students weren't using it anymore. And so the, the father who created the phone was trying to figure it out. And he kind of realized why when he started talking to his son, Max. So his son was complaining that Augie, his, his brother, had uh, pinched him. And so the father said, said, well, go tell the tattle phone. And, and he says, oh, it's broken. And, and the father was, like, was kind of worried. Oh, well, maybe it's not working. So he went over and checked it and said, no, no, it's working. You can, you can use it. And, and, and the little boy said, it's not. It didn't do anything. It didn't even work to me. It doesn't even do anything. And, and the father said, yeah, it does. You can share your problems. And, and he says, uh, it didn't. It didn't stop Augie pinching me. Um, and, and so then it's the, the father reflected and said, yeah, that's true, that, that sometimes we want more than to just speak words, that we actually want there to be an impact. We want justice. We want something to, to come of it. And I think that this is how we often feel with prayer as well, where we start off praying like the kids into the, to the tattle phone, thinking, okay, this is really great, where we're, we're, we're praying shamelessly and expectantly. But then after a while, and we keep doing it and doing it, we think, this isn't doing anything. I, I don't see the immediate impact of this. I still feel like I'm struggling with the same things, the same problems are in my life. And so, you know, like Max, we say it, it doesn't even do anything. It doesn't even have any sort of impact. But this is what I think Jesus is trying to address today, this, this very concern of, of prayer not having any effect. And so he, he's really calling us here um, to pray shamelessly, to pray expectantly. And that's, if we were to outline this passage, that's the, the outline that, that we see. So first, Jesus wants us to pray shamelessly. That's verse 5 to 10. And then he wants us to pray expectantly. And that's verse 11 to 23. So we'll look at those individually. So, so first, he wants us to pray shamelessly. And you'll notice that, that Jesus uh, shows us this, teaches this through what you, could, what you could call this argument from the lesser to the greater. So look first at the, at the lesser, uh, verse 5. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And so Jesus begins with this parable of a, 
of a man who has a guest and then has to go ask for food. And, and we don't really fully understand this, partly because of a, a cultural distance. Uh, we've, we talked about this a lot in our hospitality series, that we're in a culture that is inhospitable for the most part. Uh, but ancient Near Eastern society and even modern Near Eastern society um, prize hospitality more than we do. And so having a guest at your home and not being able to provide is, is a really big deal that your reputation is at stake, the reputation of even your communities at stake. And so this man goes to his neighbor. Uh, it says that he goes at, at midnight um, and he knocks on the door. He knocks again. There's, there's no answer. So he keeps on knocking, finally calls out, friend, lend me three loaves, which is kind of funny, lend. I don't know how you lend food. Um, but probably he's saying, I'll give it back to you. Some, I'll, I'll return food to you later, not the exact food. He says, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before you. Now, you can think from the position of the man knocking, thinking, oh, yeah, you would, you would want food to provide to your guests. But I think that it's maybe easier to think from the perspective of the man who's in bed um, because he, you know, he, he hears knocking, he hears his, his friend um, calling and asking for food. And, and remember that this isn't a, a, probably a modern house that has you know, multiple rooms, but he's probably sleeping in the same room with his, his children, his wife. And, um, and so, yes, he can see the call of, of hospitality. This is important. He knows that culturally. Uh, he knows that the man knocking isn't asking for really all that much, just three loaves, which is about one meal. But also, I think he's, he's, he's annoyed. No one wants to wake the, the sleeping baby. No one wants to get out of bed at that time. And I think that, that we can understand this. I think I would probably feel kind of similar to this guy. Um, and if you look at how the normal sleep cycle works um, for anyone, um, that the first few hours are usually the, the deepest sleep. And, and this is something that, that Grace and I have um, sadly experienced in parenthood, um, where you know, you, we'll, if Helen wakes up at 5 a.m., it's hard, but we can kind of, we, we can kind of think through it, and, and, and it's okay. Um, but when, when we've only been asleep an hour or two, and then she wakes up about midnight, like we feel just like dirt. Uh, um, and, and there's this, there's this sense of, you know, just kind of frustration and we wake up, oh, why? And then we kind of, we say, okay, so we've, we just slept. It's our beloved daughter. We love her. And you get up and you, and you care for your child. Um, but if it were my neighbor knocking on my door, um, Lord willing, I would respond in gentleness and hospitality because I've been teaching the hospitality series at Hope. Um, but I'm also not sure if I would. I could react more like the, the man in verse 7. And I, and I love how he says no in, in four different ways. He says, don't bother me. The door is shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. So that's about as firm a no as you can, you can get. But if you look at it, though, his, his excuses are, are fairly lame. Um, he says, the door is shut. Okay, how hard is it to open a door? Uh, he, sa he says, my, my children are in bed with me. All right, yeah, that, we maybe understand that a little bit more. You don't want to 
wake a, a sleeping child. But again, culturally, this is a bigger deal. It's not quite like us where we go to the 7-Eleven. Um, maybe a little bit closer to your neighbor knocks on the door and says, my wife is in labor. Can I borrow your car to drive her to the hospital? You know, and you think, OK, it's worth sacrificing the sleep cycle of my, my child for this. And then look at what happens next in, in verse 8. Jesus says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, and I love that. He's like, Friendship is not going to cut it at that point. He says, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Now, if you look at that word impudence in this translation, um, the, it's a little bit of a hard word to, to translate from the original Greek. The, the King James says importunity. The NIV says shameless audacity. Uh, the CSB says shameless boldness. The NLT says shameless persistence. So you can get the idea. Um, it's defined as a lack of sensitivity to what is proper or carelessness about the good opinion of others. And that's what, what Jesus is saying, that this man knocking at the door is careless about the good opinion of others. He, he has a lack of sensitivity to what is proper, that he, he's audacious, he's impudent, he's persistent. And so as a result, the, the, the sleeper in the house finally realizes, okay, the, if I keep trying to just sleep, I'm actually going to lose more sleep because he's going to keep knocking. And so the easiest way to get rid of the guy is basically to get up and give him what he's asking so then you can get your kids back to sleep and, and fall back asleep yourself. And I think that we've probably been in that situation. You know, maybe somebody's asking you for something and you say no, but then they keep asking you. And so it's not because they're your friend that you say yes, but you finally give in just so that they'll, they'll go away. I think we, we know that whether we want to admit it or not. Now remember, though, that, that Jesus here is making this argument from the, from the lesser to the greater. And so we see here the, the lesser, that even an annoyed friend at midnight will respond to a shameless request. But then you look to the greater, and it's how much more will a loving Heavenly Father respond to a shameless prayer. So look in your Bible at verse 9. Jesus says, I tell you... Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. And so notice these, these three commands from Jesus. He says, ask, seek, and knock. And then each of the commands has this promise attached to it where he says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. So essentially what Jesus is saying is that God wants us to knock on his door at midnight. He wants us to, to pray to him boldly and impudently and shamelessly with um, audacity. That, that This is how he actually wants us to approach him. Um, because he's not tired, he's not frustrated, he's not annoyed. Uh, that he, he wants us to pray to him in faith knowing that he is our loving heavenly father and he wants to hear from us. And so look at how Jesus then drives this home again in verse 10. He says almost the same thing again as verse 9, but he says, For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. 
And the key word there is really everyone. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks, it will be open. And so this is just an amazing, unbelievable, comforting promise from God in Scripture. And, it, and it's, it's very similar to what Ari was describing in, in her story as well, of coming to recognize, wait, God is a God of, of grace who, who, who wants to hear from me, who loves me, who cares for me. Um, and J.C. Ryle says, there are few promises in the Bible so broad and unqualified as those contained in this wonderful verse. But then I, I imagine that some of you might, might be thinking to yourself, well, I asked and I didn't receive or I saw it and I didn't find, or I, or I knocked, and it still feels like the, the door is closed. And I think that it, it's important to recognize that, that God does promise to hear our prayers, but he doesn't always promise that he'll respond in exactly the way we want or expect him to respond. And so, for example, sometimes we, we ask, we seek, we knock, and then the answer that we get from God is, is a not yet, uh, because he actually wants us to draw closer to him through prayer. At the, the men's Bible study yesterday, um, one of the guys was talking about how he, he listens to scripture at work, and, and, and he says, you know, throughout the day praying, just draws closer to the, to the Lord. But then he said sometimes when he wakes up in the morning, he'll feel just spiritually cold. And so he said he'll, he'll pray call out to the Lord, and, and he'll, he'll say, you know, I'm not going to leave this house until, you know, I see again your love and your mercy and your, and your presence of your spirit with me. And that's that kind of a boldness that we're called to. It's like Jacob in the Old Testament wrestling with God until God blessed him. Or um, it's, it's this prayer that's audacious and impudent and shameless. And it's how God actually wants us to pray because it actually shows our dependence on him for everything. And this is something that, that I experienced in the early days of, of planting Hope Church, that for, for a while it seemed like, okay, we're, we're doing outreach, we're having events, um, but still we're kind of stagnated with about 10 people in our core group gatherings, and it's, it's not going anywhere. But by God's grace, instead of giving up, that we continued in this bold, audacious, shameless, impudent prayer. And actually, I think through that drew closer to God uh, and so even now, I mean, I can be thankful in a sense that God delayed in certain ways his work in Hope Church because I was actually, I think, able to see more of his goodness and his faithfulness through that than if it had been otherwise. And I think that that's true for your life as well, that sometimes it's actually in the, the delay and in, in the continuing to, to knock and to seek that, that we actually discover the, the depth of God's love and the, the fullness of his presence with us. But then at the same time, though, yes, sometimes God says not yet. But then at other times, I think we pray, we ask, we seek, seek, we, we knock. And, and the answer that we might get from God is actually, I've already done it. You just didn't see it. There's kind of a, a goofy story about this that you might have heard before. It's kind of a common illustration of this. Of A guy is, is in a storm in his house, and the water, floodwaters are rising, and the boat comes by. And they say, well, let us take you to safety. And he says, no, I'm praying to the Lord. He's going to deliver me. And so they go off. And then 
the water continues to rise. He ends up on the roof of his house, and the waters are rushing around him. And then he says, uh, the helicopter comes over, lowers uh, something down, saying, we'll take you to safety. He says, no, I pray to the Lord. He's going to deliver me. The water rises. He drowns. He goes to heaven. And, and then he says to God, well, why didn't you rescue me? And God said, well, I sent a boat. I sent a helicopter. Um, you know, and again, like that's a, a, a silly illustration. But I think that there, there's truth in it and the way that we can fall into this, this trap where we asked God, God, prove to me that you exist. And God would say, well, I've given you creation itself that proclaims my glory. I've given you my, my word in scripture. Um, the evidence is there. Or we say, God, I just want you to show me that you love me. And he says, well, I, I sent my son to die on the cross for your sins. And if you repent and trust in me, you have life. Or we ask him to say, Lord, give me a meaningful relationship. And, and he says, well, I've given you myself, the God of the universe, loving you and, and caring for you. And so then sometimes then our, our, our shameless prayers then actually bring us to an awareness of the way God has already displayed his love and, and mercy in our lives. And so Jesus wants us to pray shamelessly, and that's the first part of this text. But then second... He wants us to pray expectantly. And here again, Jesus makes another argument from the lesser to the greater. And so notice the, the lesser in verse 11. He said, What father among you, if he has a son, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Now, Jesus isn't unaware of the fact that earthly fathers can be horrible and can actually withhold good from their children or give them evil things. But what, it, what he's saying is that, on the whole, that even earthly fathers will give good to their children when they ask. I mean, I don't know what kind of a father Osama bin Laden was, but I kind of imagine that probably if his son asked for a fish, he wouldn't give him a poisonous snake. Or you, know, you think of a a white supremacist member of the KKK, um, again, he, if his son asked for an egg, I doubt he would give him a scorpion. That even those who are evil can, can give good to their children in small ways. And then looking at how Jesus moves this from the lesser to the greater, verse 13, he says, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so Jesus here is actually calling his hearers evil. He says, if you then who are evil, um, and, and, and at first that might seem kind of harsh or, or judgmental, but what Jesus is bringing out is that this truth of Scripture that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, uh, that none is righteous, no, not one. And so even the, the best earthly father is still sinful, still falls short of, of God's glory, and you know, if you are a parent, you know that you're not a perfect parent. If you had parents, you know that they're not perfect parents. And so I would imagine that the most of us recognize the, the failings of parents in, in, to one degree or another. But then if even a, a sinful parent can give good gifts to a child, then how much more our loving Heavenly Father? And I think that this is so important for us to remember when we when we pray to God. Uh, going back to the experience at Hope before we launched, when it seems especially like it wasn't going anywhere, 
uh, I, I caught myself sometimes praying to God as if, you know, I was asking him this really big favor, like, Lord, if only you would prosper this church plant, I would be so grateful. And then I realized, well, wait a second, this is God's church. This is, the whole church is his idea, not my idea, uh, that, you know, I love the Garnet Valley community. I want to see good in the Garnet Valley community. God loves the Garnet Valley community more than, more than I do. Now, I love you all, and I love the, the people God is, has gathered, and, and, I, and I desire what, what's best for, for you all, but God loves you infinitely more. And I think that this is also something for, for parents. I mean, I know that some of you have, have children who are walking away from the Lord in, in different ways, but I think it's important to say that, that God actually loves your children more than you do, that, that our love is, is a love that is... Is limited. It's it's finite love, but God's love is infinite. And our love, to one degree or another, can be tainted by by selfishness or pride, or sin. But God's love is holy and pure and undefiled. And so this means that when we go to God in prayer, that we can pray expectantly, because He's not a God who has abandoned us. He's He's not a, a father who's just left us to fend for ourselves. He's He's not a God who's going to withhold good things from his children. That's why the Apostle Paul says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he also not with him give us gracious, or sorry, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So remember a, a minute ago, I was saying that, that sometimes God says, not yet, when we call out to him. Sometimes he says, it's already been done. But there are times where God does say no to our prayers. Where, where we knock, we seek, we ask, and, it's, and we, we get a no. But then you think, well, does that somehow nullify the promise of God that the one who asks will receive, the one who seeks will find, the one who knocks, it will be opened? And I think that because God is our, our loving Heavenly Father, that when we, when we seek from him, if he says no, that he might be saying no to something because he actually wants us to, to hold out for something far better, to not settle for something that is, is less when we could have, have more in Christ. And, and that's what, what Jesus is saying in verse 13 in your text. Look there one more time. He says that, if then, uh, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And you say, wait a second. How are we all of a sudden talking about the Holy Spirit here? Uh, because we've been talking about this prayer that should be you know, shameless and expectant, and then all of a sudden he says, and he'll give you the Holy Spirit if, if you ask. And, and I think that we can feel in our flesh like that's a bad deal at first. Where we think, you know, you pray for the Ferrari, um, or you pray, you pray for a, a child after a season of barrenness, or you pray for a, a better job, or you pray for the whole host of things that you think this would be wonderful if God would answer these prayers. And then God says, no, I'm not going to give you that. I'll, I'll give you the Holy Spirit instead. And it feels to us in our flesh, again, like, 
like the person who, you know, the, the trick-or-treater knocks on the door and they get a toothbrush instead of candy. And they think, well, maybe this, it's better, but it's not really what I, what I wanted uh, from, the, from the Lord. But I think that we feel that way because our conception of God is just far too, too small, that according to Scripture, God is the, the source of all beauty, all pleasure, all goodness, that, that, that everything that we experience in this world that, that is beautiful and pleasurable was originally designed to point to the, to the beauty and the glory and the, the holiness of God. But obviously those things have been marred and broken and distorted by the impact of, of sin in our world. So we'll experience pleasure in this life, but then we just want more. And that's why people get addicted to drugs or to sex. Or we'll experience beauty and then we'll say, okay, it's not enough. We, we need more, which is why people commit adultery or, or seek out pornography. But what, what God is, is saying and, and, and promising is that, that if we repent of our sins and trust in Jesus, that we get the, the very best gift of all, that we get the very life of God himself within us. We get God dwelling in us, that, that we ourselves become this temple. You know, in the Old Testament, the, when they built the temple and they dedicated it, the Spirit of God came and filled it, and the glory was, was shining forth from the temple, and it's saying that that's the way it is for us in Christ, that, that the Spirit dwells in us. We have the life of God in us, and that's good news. Because if you think about it, if you have every single thing according to the world standard, that you, you have money and you have power and you have talent and achievement and connection and people love you, but then you don't have the Spirit of God, then you actually don't have the one thing that actually matters. And that you can live a life of, of luxury and, and fullness according to the, to the world. You can be buried in you know, the pyramid at Giza but then end up in hell, separated from God for all of eternity because you didn't have the one thing that, that matters. But on the other hand, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, this gift of, of God, then you can be poor, you can be obscure, you can be untalented, you can be rejected because you have the, the life of God in you. You have the, the guarantee of eternal life. You have the promise of a, a resurrection body like Christ's resurrection body. You have assurance of salvation that, that if you were to die tonight that you would be with God based on what Christ has done for us. You have the spirit of holiness crying Abba Father uh, from your heart. And so this is where then it, it comes full circle again to the, to the very beginning of this section on, on prayer. Because remember the disciples said Lord teach us to pray. And and Jesus says you pray in the name of the Father. You can pray for the holiness of God, for the kingdom to come, to you can pray for, for daily practical needs of daily bread. You can pray for forgiveness of sins. You can pray for uh, deliverance from temptation and evil. But then as we, as we pray shamelessly and expectantly, that we have this guarantee that there is a prayer that God guarantees to answer 100% without fail when we ask that if, that if we seek him in Christ and we, we repent and we trust in Jesus, that we get the gift of the Holy Spirit, greater than health, greater than wealth, greater than anything else that we can have in life. We're brought into a relationship with God, and he says, come to me. Come to me at midnight. He never slumbers, but he's saying, 
if I could sleep, I would want you to wake me up to pray to me and to, to bring your needs and, and your concerns before me boldly. And we can do that because of the, the work of, of, of Jesus, that this kind of shameless, expectant prayer is only possible uh, because Jesus came into the world, God and man, took upon himself a human nature, lived the life you and I could never live. He died the sacrificial death on our, in our place, taking our sins on himself. And so when we trust in him, the life of Christ becomes our life. And, and that's what this meal is, is symbolizing, that we take the bread and the juice, we take it into our body, it becomes part of our body. And as we, as we hold on to Christ, that, that his life becomes our life, that we get the very gift of, of God. And so as we're waiting, we're praying for all the, the needs in our life. We have the foundation, the bedrock of God's spirit, knowing that no matter what transpires, no matter what flood enters our life, that we have God, we have the pr promise of, of life and relationship with him forever, the source of joy that only grows greater and greater and more and more for all eternity because he is the source of all goodness.